This year is the five-year anniversary of the Magician's premiere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we should do something. Yeah, do you have like an idea what we could do? I just had the idea of doing a thing. I haven't gotten to the writing down ideas yet. <laughs> All right, so you ready? Yes, I've got my color-coded notes. Mm, yes, I like that. I am so excited about that. A lot of Katie. Yeah, a lot of Katie. Mostly Katie. And, um, I'll save it for the podcast. (laughs) Do I have a name? Why would you need one? Starbucks must be. I'm a fucking magician. Not the library's story. It's our story. This story belongs to a lot more people than you think. What did you do? Minor Mender. Hello, Philorians. This is Catherine, your resident fan expert. And this is Jasper, and even though Marina wasn't in this episode, I'm gonna bring her up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking we should start the podcast like fake laughing, like we were having a good time. <laughs> and then remembered what show we're doing. <laughs> um, so to, to this uh, team is empowerment. And um, we're recording this like way in advance. We're right now in August, but it's going to be like in November or something like that. <laughs> I think it's actually in December, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. So I was I wanted to talk about uh, the newly nominated Kamala Harris and everything, but then I was like, I don't know if the world is still going to exist in November with everything and the elections. So um, I won't go political. Yeah, I won't go political. And um, I don't understand politics. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. I voted for Ron Paul, guys. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, boy. Please vote Joe Biden this time. I will. I learned my lesson voting for Gary Johnson last year. <laughs> he was the only one I understood. Um, so this, uh, instead, I'm going to talk about uh, Frozen. Elsa and Anna. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Kamala is frozen, same thing. The opposite um, of politics is frozen. But the thing is, um, I well, we, we talk a lot about let it go and how this is a Holland empowerment for her, like she heard letting go. But I feel the second movie is way much like um, an ode to it because um, Elsa realized that she doesn't want to be queen. You never saw the movie, it's okay. <laughs> so the face you made, but um, Elsa basically chased this gut feeling that she has, and and like she said, I had my 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 adventure. I don't want a new one, but in the end, she realizes that she wants a new one, and Anna will find uh, find her, and in the end, they both will end up empowered, but in different way. Um, Basically, Anna, spoiler alert for those who didn't solve Frozen 2, but Anna will end up having to sacrifice Harendel in order to save the, uh, an indigenous community that her people wronged. And Anna, uh, Elsa will be like a, she kind of became a goddess spirit, it's kind of weird, and save Harendel because Anna was ready to like sacrifice the white people 
in order for, to not wrong the same. <laughs> but um, and it, it, in the end, Anna Elsa realized that she doesn't the 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 right person to be at the end of Harrendale is Anna, not her, and hmm. Anna becomes a queen. And I like that that it's the idea of like. The whole first movie was like, who am I? And that in, in the second movie is like, she realized that what she she is for it to happen, she need to let go of things. And it was Arendelle and her kingdom. And I, I just find that beautiful because I never grew up with that. I grew up with like Jasmine and, the, uh, and Aladdin. And, and I uh, just can't wait to be king. Exactly, and this uh, like I can't uh, wait my, my till my dad dies and I'm the king. <laughs> I'm um I'm rather ashamed to say that as a white person in Canada, but my favorite movie was Pocahontas. It's got some problems. Yeah, but and, you know uh, what? It's got some kick-ass songs. Yeah, I got uh, and I, I was in love with John Smith, but um. Yeah, you had some bad choices back no, but in the day. Thing, was his his friend Thomas, I love Thomas. Anyway, uh, his voice, and then, then I learned his voice by Kristen Bale, which really freaked me out. Anyway, um, I didn't know that and all of that. <laughs> but uh, all of that to say that I grew up with woman in the back, and maybe like, oh yeah, it's a a powerful woman like Pocahontas, but at the end, she's still in her tribe doing her thing. Like their their character grows, but not that much. And meanwhile, she's Frozen... still doing what she's supposed to do. Exactly. And meanwhile, Frozen is like kind of uh, breaking that. And uh, we're gonna we see that also in Brave when Merida was like, "Fuck that! I, I don't want to get married." Like those kind of. I'm so happy my niece is gonna grow up with that. <laughs> and I hope that we see that more in media now. I would like to. Especially for women, men had it enough. <laughs> men, you, you, men have got enough characters. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got too many. You got Harry Potter. What more do you want? Um, and yeah, they... we got Hermione. But come on. Yeah, I mean, if Hermione wasn't there in the seventh book, Harry would have died. Let's be real. If Her Hermione hadn't been there in the first book, Harry would have died. Touche. <laughs> um. But before we uh, dive into um, this week's episode, we're going to do our favorite 30-second recap. Are you ready? Yes. Go. Penny teaches us the value of properly, shel properly shelving books. Uh, pizza horny uh, love lady. Katie's Detective Katie, not Detective Sam Cunningham. There's a difference. It kicks ass in so many ways. Zelda will kill, your kill you to protect Alice. Uh, Harriet's a slit mouth, mouth monster nightmare that I hate. And I hate the elevator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Do you know what I remember most about the elevator scene? <laughs> Arjun had a live chat, like an Instagram live, and I feel like we can cut this out because it's not important and it's kind of weird. And we were all guessing what he saw in the elevator after this episode, and he said something like, I saw a whole herd of unicorns, and I typed, I feel like you're lying. And he goes, I am lying, Jasper. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> So we have kind of four uh, for people to see this time. Uh, Penny, 
10, Zelda, and Katie. So I say that we start with Penny because the the show is like kind of him talking through the stories with the guy that I forgot his name. Um, I didn't write. <laughs> I didn't write his name down. Yeah, I just calling it him white guy in my notes. I'm gonna IMDb that shit. <laughs> uh, also, I like legit love this episode like i i have a theory that this episode was written for the writer to prepare to quentin's death oh yeah that's that's why the elevator Mm -hmm. but the whole like uh, uh, people like like sorry quentin is not the center oh yeah Um, i don't think they say it no um he's i don't see him listed um i'm cruise it guy sorry I'm gonna call him Norman. Well, um, it started with Penny, who has his own office. Wait, was it Gavin? No, Gavin is the librarian that helped. Oh, Zelda right. Going. Right. Then um, his name is Norman. Um. So Penny uh, has his own office now. So he moved up the the rank of the library when while we were not seeing him, and um. He basically told um, a crusade guy that he didn't like the way he shelved a person because she mattered. She mattered in someone's someone else's life, basically. And then my to first prove a note point, is disappointing. Disappointing prodigies is my section. Is my first. Note. <laughs> I think it's the section of any uh, reader of the magician. Uh, but Penny lent uh, um, the guy his friend's book and I, uh, to prove a point. And I was wondering why. I think it has a lot to do with... Penny has known them. Mm-hmm. And... He's always seen the power in Katie that she didn't see. Like yeah. That was that one was a given, and I think also this is kind of in a way him saying that he's not a side character either. He's like empowering himself. Through. Yeah, yeah. That's these are true. these are my friends. I was wasn't a sidekick. Mm-hmm. I'm still not. And like even when you say like I'm a side character, the guy's like, oh, duh, 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 duh. you know, yeah. like. Uh, and after that, he says uh, you have a, cl- a classic case of white male protagonism, which I love. I mean, uh, accurate, accurate. But I also love that this is a critic of the media, and I, I wrote that later. But I can bring it. In. I think that um, if Hyman was the fandom th- uh, shipping people and loving the show. Uh, Cruise at Guy is all the troll and the people hating the show, and the writer answering back via Penny. I like using Penny to clap back. Yeah, I think that Penny is the way the writer are responding to their detractor because a lot of people were like, Oh, yeah, you, you say that you're so uh, pro LGBTQ, but you have a white guy. You know? I mean, white people still exist. Mm-hmm. Also, White people are still LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hot take, hot take. But also, like, like it, I like the idea of like reframing the magician not about Quentin, 
Gonna but even in the first episode, um, the first episode of season one, uh, when Fogg says they're not ready, especially not him, he's not talking about Quentin. He's talking about Penny. No, he's talking about Quentin. No, I never got that as talking about Quentin. I always got that as talking about, because Penny was the traveler. Penny, they knew Penny was the traveler. And it's killed him in so many timelines. I always read that as them talking about Penny. Ah, I always read it as talking about Quentin, because Quentin, when he said that, after that, there's a shot to Quentin, who is in a, a psychiatric hospital. Yeah, but how many times did Fogg try to get rid of Quentin? Well, Quentin dies every time. Quentin wouldn't stop coming back. Yeah. Quentin was a persistent little shit. Quentin in, he, in he's multiple- He's the tomato. Yes! Multiple times he wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. He just kept showing up. Mm-hmm. So I always read the, the opening scene as Fog- Or not always read, but after I watched the series or whatever- um, I always thought it was Fogg talking more about Penny than about hmm. Quentin, because, I mean, he had arguably the most deadly power. <laughs> yeah, well, they are, yeah, him and uh, Alice are dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> well, one time well, he, I... uh, um, poofed himself into a volcano, so. Yeah. But I, I would like to know what the people think if you want to tweet us at Philorians. I want to know uh, if other people have read it as someone else than Quentin. So I always read it as Quentin. So I'm really, really interested about, about reading it as someone else. Yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to know what people think now because <laughs> yeah. I never really uh, thought about it that much. I'm just like, oh, that's <laughs> clearly not Quentin. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we're going to see... Um, that Penny gives um, uh, Cruz and Boy the uh, something to ring about Fen. Did you call him Ted Cruz Boy? No, Cruz Cruzade Boy. Oh, okay. I thought you called him Ted Cruz Boy. I'm like, you know what? That's fine too. That could work. Uh, but uh, it is it's gonna make him read about Fen, and I love that Penny reads about Fen because he really didn't give a fuck about her when he was alive. Like, even when that Penny came to White Spire that one time, he waited for Fen to leave to talk to Elliot. He's so I like this. I... On his husband's wife. <laughs> but I like this idea of him, like, <laughs> realizing that Fen is more than a sad character before Fen realizes realize it herself. I'm wondering if he read Fen's book or if he read. Margot or Elliot's book realized something about Finn and then went back and read Finn's book. I think that's what happened. I think that he read uh, his friend's book and he realized that she uh, she appeared in a lot of them. Oh shit, this Fern bitch has got some shit going on. Yeah, especially like um, she says, uh, he said that, uh, oh, Finn's gonna start something big about Fillory, which is gonna be uh, her dethroning Margot, which leads her to going to the, the South and everything. So, and like now we know what happened with Fennon and Fillory. I think Penny saw the big picture, bigger than like we could ever imagine. I mean, Finn didn't just have a lot to do with Fillory. Finn pushed 
fillery out of her vagina so yeah we're gonna talk about that in season five <laughs> um but i also i like that he called uh because technically the guy is um the guy is his supervisor supervisor and yet like said something super sexist and penny says like dude we don't say that oh in the underworld no like anywhere <laughs> anywhere i wrote that line down i love that you can't say that stuff anymore in the afterlife no dude anywhere which is but just I'm, so... I'm wondering go ahead oh sorry i was just gonna say like penny's had a lot of personality changes since joining the library yes. that was a moment of pure and utter penny like that yeah. was beautiful um there was also this this beautiful moment after he sees zelda uh before he sees Finn, where he says to um white guy gab uh white guy norman or whatever um we see shit but we don't intervene yes penny you literally just intervened with penny 23 you literally plucked him up put him in a white room and inner fucking beamed yes because of the big picture because he knew that that will save magic I just love that he's telling this dude, like, we, we never intervene with what's going on, pretending like he didn't just pluck someone out. Yeah, Penny is all about doing what I say, not what I do. <laughs> you know? That, that is his whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> and I love that, uh, like, we, between this, the other scene, we see sometimes just the, uh, the white guy reading and Penny looking at him. I I just love his minor acting. Yes. Penny doesn't have to say anything. Yeah, and what is inter interesting is we see all of Penny's growth in the underworld with those little shots. I don't know how to explain it, but like, he grew up so much, but it's not about maturity. It's about the understanding of the world. Like, it's not about Penny anymore. You know? It yeah, it's he sees a bigger picture than just yeah. himself. And before, for a long time, his, I mean, for all of season one, almost, at least three quarters of season one, mm -hmm. his whole world was him and Katie. Yeah. That was, that was all he could see. He didn't give a fuck about anybody else. Mm -hmm. His world has always kind of been small. Mm-hmm. Me and whoever I'm allowed to care about. Uh, yeah, and it's it's never like it, it, I think that's a survival mode or the trait of someone who has been in the foster care system. But it's like, what's next? Instead oh, of yeah. okay, but like long game, what is gonna be? Oh yeah, he's never planned on being anywhere for a long enough time to see a big picture. Exactly. Uh, and and then after that, he after all of uh, him showing the stories, uh, he say uh, people cannot be side character if you look at the impact they have on others' lives. Yes, he even small things that you wouldn't normally pick up on can make huge differences. Just existing and being there can make a difference. I I, I like that um, 
a white boy after that say like yeah people upstairs always send me because they love a plot twist but like penny that we knew before would have sent him like go fuck yourself for doing that and here is just taking oh he would have been pissed this is some breakdown shit like all right bro like okay i guess that's how shit works now but then he's taken, is 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 um, promoted to secret, taken to the grave, and he has to start right now for Q. So I think that they hired him for Q, and I want to know why. I have a theory that nobody's gonna like, and I'm gonna receive tomato. But I want to see. Uh... Okay, I'm listening. No, what what what's your uh, what's oh, your? I, I have anything I, I i was thinking i think that quentin needed to move on um the gods saw it and penny was the only one that will, would have made him pass the door quentin would have tried to go out and go away and broke loose if it wasn't for penny being able to walk him to the door and move on because he like some, needed some... something familiar yeah and in some way, Penny's a comfort to him now. Yeah. And like Penny was there when he arrived at Brickbills. So they straight up murdered my boy so that Quentin wouldn't break out of the underworld. Okay. Well, to be honest, uh, to be fair, Penny was meant to die the way he was acting. You leave him out of this. <laughs> but I, I think that Quentin, like, it was a way for the writer to make sure that Quentin will move on. And that would make sense that he would be able to move on that quick. Because, like, we saw with uh, Julia's friend, um, the pre-trader Beowulf, it can take decades for people to move on. Quentin moved on within 24 hours. And I think the gods wanted him to move on for a bigger picture. Because they needed the others to focus not on Quentin, but on Fillory. Okay, I I have a lot to say about that scene when we get to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna save it for when we get to it. The elevator scene, because we're there. No, I mean when Quentin actually gets out of the elevator and he's talking. Oh, okay, to okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. always felt like there should be that moment where where Quentin looks at me. He's like, "Yeah, that's all great, but you're not Penny." <laughs> I've met Penny. Well, that's the thing. Like a lot of people say, "Oh, Penny changed in the younger world," but I think we saw that the real Penny is still there when he talked to Penny twenty three. He's just yeah. able now to to talk to know who deserves his wrath. It it feels almost like this Penny is more accepting of things that he can't control. Mm-hmm. Also, I wrote down, um, no one empowered Penny, but he'll be better than them. Penny empowered himself. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like, no, there wasn't really a point in his life where people were like, you know, you're actually pretty great. You can do good things, too. You can be awesome. But I think he needed 80s to tell him you have a purpose here. Yeah, for him to be able to find one and he, he found one into realizing that people were not psychic. Yeah, but he needed and... someone to t- tell him like, "Hey, you matter, you dumb shit." <laughs> yeah, but I think he also needs 
needs to see that in other people to be able to see it in himself. Yeah. And he wants to be a better person than people were to him. Hmm. Anyway, I love Penny so much. I love every Penny. I'm not biased. Yeah. I, I, no, I don't like Book Penny. I love Book Penny. Book Penny. Book Penny Penny met Quentin like two, two times. One of those times. One of those times I got a fist fight with him, shows back up. I got a Subaru to see my best friend Quentin. Mm -hmm. And Quentin's like, I don't know you. (laughs) We are not friends. No, my best friend Quentin. Look at my Subaru. For some reason, one of the only I don't remember most of the books, and one of the only things I remember is Penny bought a Subaru. I always find that sad that after all this time, you still consider Quentin as a friend. I don't think he ever had a friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's gonna be for. If we analyze the book, let's go back to the episode. Um, oh, let's talk about Zelda. Figured out the next podcast. <laughs> so uh, it started with Zelda giving Zelda a new book. Has... Palette. And the book is um, Note from the Underground, which I like because like, it talks about also Penny being in the underworld. But I wanted to know what the book was because the last time Metamorphosis was really like to the point to Alice and I started to like read online and and I, I wanted like, to know because I can't read and I don't understand the fuck what Wikipedia was saying and I found this amazing um YouTube video th- uh, called to- uh, Tug's Notes with basically a tug that explained literature like I want thugs to explain everything to me tell me what taxes are and how to do them uh, Chase in editing, please put a a a a quote of um, "No from the Underground" here. What it do, player? This week on Thug Notes, we digging deep with "Notes from Underground" by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This book's name was narrator say he wants sick motherfucker, but he ain't got to clap or anything like that. The only thing wrong with this fool is he's decked out with too much consciousness. And because of that, this fool miserable and lonely as hell. After philosophizing about man, freedom, rationality, and other real talk, our 40-year-old recluse started reminiscing about some shit that went down when he was in his 20s. Wow, this was so interesting. Um, that was a great quote. <laughs> but basically, totally recognize. Uh, this, this, this book is super hard to read and is one of the first existentialist novels basically ask yourself how to how do I handle being different than everyone else who are sheep and like the the idea of being smart makes you miserable but I being also, miserable makes you smart I also thought it related to to Alice a lot when it was talking about how you can see things from so many different angles that you don't know what to do so yes. you just do nothing yes and I, I, yeah, we have seen that in Alice so many times where she just kind of freezes and she's like, I see every option and all of them are bad. What's the worst one? I'm going to do that. <laughs> but the idea also that uh, in, in, 
Tug's note was saying how uh, the guys say that you want to be alone, but always crave being with people. That's Alice too. Alice say a lot. Mood. Yeah, but like Alice says a lot that she is, but act differently. And I don't know. I really like this. I, uh, I feel like a lot of that is Alice doesn't, especially at this point. Alice doesn't feel like she deserves to be around people. Mm-hmm. She has. It's like it's kind of like the the underground was saying with um. It talked a lot about about consciousness and, and guilt and things like that, mm-hmm. and she's taken a lot of that on. It's because no one's life. told her she has PTSD. <laughs> Amen. Someone get this child a therapist. She needs help. The thing is, if people will get therapy in the magician, there will be no show. You know, these children need help. <laughs> um, and you can then... save the world and get therapy. I'm very pro-therapy <laughs> and saving the world. Yeah. Um, I, and then uh, uh, Zelda discovered that Alice got out, and then we cut back to Phyllis, who laughed because fuck, they had fucking Santa in the cell, and she's like, and she's like, no, it's it's really great. I'm I'm not laughing now, but she's still laughing because it's fucking Santa. <laughs> y'all y'all locked up Santa Claus, and then uh, she said that we're not jailers, but then some uh, the the security guy was like, then let's kill them, and she's like. We're not killers either. <laughs> you, it's not one or the other. We're not jailers or killers. There are other things you can be, like veterinarians. And, and uh, Evan arrives say, like, okay, then, like, it's true. We're scholars. We're not assassins. And I think that show how we will seek powers always the scholarly way. It's never by fighting or by. It's always by logicking people out of things. That's because Everett's a pussy and he can't fight. <laughs> Meet me in the Denny's parking lot, Everett. But by agree- agreeing with Zelda about not killing, Everett empowers Zelda without saying it because basically she's like, she's right about that thing, not about the jailing, but about not killing. So that's, that empowers Zelda. That empowers the guy saying that he's not, he's not right and then try to find a solution, which is honestly what a leader should do. Like, try to empower, like, let's try to give him some do here and then um after that he say like what do we do and someone say read their books and say and phyllis say no because we agree that it was a breach of privacy and i love that they had that i love that too mostly because we know zelda read alice's book yep i also love how they're immediately all the librarians are like, well, Zelda, Alice was your responsibility. That was mm-hmm. your project. Because yep. a- we saw Zelda earlier in the series as Alice's jailer. Like, she was the mm-hmm. antagonist to Alice. And now we're kind of seeing she really believed in Alice and wanted her to be better and wanted That's her a- to rehabilitate. We realize that Zelda's not a villain. Which... It really also, after the loss of Harriet, got way more kind of intense for Zelda, where she's like, I lost a child, I will protect this thing. Yep, 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 yep. Um, then um, 
then uh, they all agree that to put a tracker until they wait for Alice, Alice's book to be rewritten, and then come uh, and and then they will take out their tracker, and then uh, uh, the the book is rewritten and Alice and Zelda say, oh, she decided to get away from magic, blah blah blah. She got a Shih Tzu. Everett called Alice Bluff just because she's a cat person and not a dog person. And that shows our particular, like, Everett knows people more. Like, he, he's able to read things. And he's like, she's not a, a cat or a dog person. Why would she end up with a Shih Tzu? I feel like Everett has read just enough of everyone's book to know their weakness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you say, oh, Nix is, is still at large, so we're going to keep the tracker. This is a good excuse to, to keep the tracker, because at first it was only for Alice. Yeah. It's out to use, like, what's in place, but, like, twisted it to keep it. And he absolutely know that right now there's collaterals. He's not saying Zelda. He's not telling Zelda. Oh, yeah. But he knows. He knows. What I'm wondering is why did... I don't think that Zelda believed it either. Why there's, there's a really weird thing going on with Zelda in this episode that yeah. was really frustrating me the whole time because she doesn't trust Everett, but then she does trust Everett. And she but then doesn't she trust doesn't, Frog, but, then, but she, he, she doesn't know where who to trust. And I think I, she knows there's something with Everett, but he saved her life, so it's hard to see him doing something wrong. I wrote in all caps at one point, why the fuck do you trust Everett? Yeah, basically. I, honestly, the moment I saw him, I'm like, I don't trust that guy. Um, no, he's but... British and wearing a suit. I don't trust that shit. <laughs> but then uh, Zelda, feeling that it might not be true, because Everett was like, oh, I thought she was a cat person. We'll go to the brewery, discovered that Alice wasn't there, and then lie to Gavin. Why? Is it to empower herself or Alice? I think it's kind of an empowering thing for her, but it's also almost a healing thing. Like like I was saying with losing Harriet, mm-hmm. now all she really has is Alice in a way, and I feel like she really empathizes with her, especially with just the way Alice has been hurt over and over again and mm-hmm. kind of turned to the library at one point and all this shit and I I, I after that we see Zelda telling everything to Fog and at first I was like why is she telling Fog she know that Fog do not like her but I think she said that because she knows that even if he won't get involved he will, that he will now keep an eye on Alice I think that was her her way to protect Alice. She knows that Fog will protect his students as much as he hates them. He will protect them. Well, especially like the the, the hero of the magician, since they've been there for 39 times. Like he worked with them and like they're more important than other students. Let's be real. He's, He's known them so many times in so many ways. Exactly. Um, and then the, she see the mirror breaking and Anderson and Harriet is reaching to her. And she will go to Gavin. Explain there was to a him. really good part when the mirror broke, when she took that one shard of glass off the and ground. And, and Yeah, and she kept kind of like staring at it like 
actively holding this broken shard of glass to hopefully see Harriet again. Mm-hmm. It made me think a bit of uh, in Harry Potter 7 or Harry has the broken glass and hope to see Dumbledore. But you exactly. realize it, it wasn't Dumbledore, it was his brother. And it wasn't Harriet in the mirror room. It was shards. Um, Dumbledore's but... goat fucking brother. <laughs> but uh, she explained Gavin that she needs him and like will basically guilt him into doing it and then say beg him saying please i like how she tried to be powerful but at the end cracks a bit i think she's like but we learned that gavin didn't even know that harriet was her daughter and i wonder why did she hit that because gavin is a right-hand man also they mentioned harriet's older than you yep because harriet was on earth for a while yep and um i'm just now I didn't notice that the first time watching it, I guess. And I'm kind of just now coping with that. Mm. So um, that's a thing that's happened. Yep. I just wonder why she hid it from Gavin, because he helped her a lot. Is it like her, her henchman? I feel like there's still a part of her that doesn't trust anyone in the library. Mm. And Harriet is a weakness. Ah, Harriet's her pretty much her only real weakness. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And that's why when she, Which she does... makes you wonder, did someone lure Harriet out when she was a kid? I want to know how she got Harriet. I think that she got in the. Who'd you fuck, Zelda? I, I just think that she had Ariad before she was found by the library. Oh yeah, I definitely and think she agreed she to be to in the us. library. She agreed to be in the library for Ariad. I to totally keep think. her protected from yeah. whatever happened to uh, her yes, on the I outside. Yeah. But now I'm wondering too if someone didn't lure Harriet outside of the library. Mm. Well, I think uh, no, because she's too scared of it. Harriet. Like it, Harriet oh, wanted uh, to no, leave. No, I, oh no, Harriet! Yeah, basically, Zelda sending her to break those. Yeah, but but even before that, like she was. Well, I think that she was a curious little girl that just wanted to see the world, and her mom said no. So what do little girls do it when your mom says no? You do it when it's forbidden, especially for Harriet. When there's forbidden knowledge, she needs to know what it is. I'm just thinking about like how easy is it to get out of the library. Because we never really... It's easy. When you're not, like, a jailer. I have theories. <laughs> uh, they're but not then we... good or make sense, but, you know, they're theories. Uh, we see uh, Zelda will see her daughter as shards, which is a crooked re version of, of Ariad, which is not Ariad, basically. And she's going to be, like, really shook by it. I hate not Harriet, by the way. <laughs> Every time I see it, I scream. Yep. Even when I know it's coming. Um, and then um, the Modesto incident happened, and it like snapped her out of her being shaken from Harriet, and she's like, oh, there was an, an accident. I had an one incident here where uh, Zelda is, is about Zelda. Oh, 
Is it time for your meds? Yes. Um. Can we can we acknowledge? <laughs> my alarm is Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani. Yep. Yep. Okay. We'll I'll take be back in like two seconds. I also feel the need to apologize <clears throat> real quick. Um. I am very stuffy. I am allergic to everything in the air right now. <laughs> um, okay. When I walk into my living room where the windows are open, I will start sneezing for like two minutes straight. Yeah. And when I no, sneeze, I... it's really fucking annoying. <laughs> it's this high pitched squeak that everyone, <laughs> the first time they hear it, they're like, oh, that's so cute. And then later they're like, can you, can you fucking stop? <laughs> making that sound so i am very stuffy and i keep muting my microphone because i'm sniffly okay um so you were saying about zelda and well, the sh- about i was about to say about modesto uh, i was just zelda- talking about like her that she abandoned harriet in the mirror world mm-hmm. it was like losing her for a second time Mm. Only this time it was kind of almost like straight. It had to feel like killing or like giving her a death sentence yeah. at that point. And I like that we saw her like shaking and needing to like breathe and having a panic attack basically because we always see her so composed. Yeah, she does. Her... <clears throat> she does not let anyone see her hurt or weak because exactly she can't. Exactly. And um, and then she received receive a, a, a noticing that Modesto got bombed. And um, Everett used that as an excuse to start a war on Hedwich, which Katie called, by the way, and to basically start his, uh, him getting more and more magic. And I don't know if you... I know you didn't watch Game of Thrones, but you might have heard that phrase of uh, sentence of chaos is a ladder. It's uh, one of the main uh, main character that's that uh, to another saying like some people are able to rise themselves up when there's chaos using the chaos as a ladder and I think this is what Everett does the best is he use the he use the the chaos of what's happening and say oh we're gonna use the trackers for Alice oh now he's gonna be for Santa oh now it's for all the hedge witches. Oh yeah, he can always find a way to like use an event to like fit his agenda. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's what I had about it. Um, we know that this is basically the beginning of Zelda no- feeling that there's something about the order. Zelda doesn't know that she's hurting anyone. No, and that, that's just sad when she learns that, like, there was some setback. She's like, but I did that for there was none. Like, like she's actively trying to help people. That's yeah. all she wants to do. And she doesn't realize what's actually happening. Well, but because the information was kept from her. Yeah. Because um, she's actually a good person who genuinely I, wants to help people, but doesn't always know how. Kind of and like I think- Alice. I think also that Everett empowers her in way that are good for him and not um, like he's going to empower her over like the trackers and 
oh, I need you to help me on the horse or the hedge witch, but not over his daughter or her daughter or um, having a doubt about what they're doing is right or wrong. He wants Zelda to just trust him that he knows what's, what to do. What's best, yeah. And she does it. I think it's like uh, someone realizing their parents are... Um, are humans and have flaws. I think that's what's happening with Ariat and Everett right now. Didn't we talk about that in the last episode, too? Yep! <laughs> so this whole show is just about learning your parents have flaws. <laughs> um, and let's go to Fillory if you're good with it. Yay, Fillory! Where are we at? Where's Fillory? Uh, well, we had Finn uh, dreaming that there was a bunny. I hated so the... I, this is a second... Buddy, we've seen slit. Yeah, I, I closed my eyes the whole time because the bun bun looked my, like one of my bun. Oh, there was no oh. knife inside of this one though. Yeah, that's nice. But yeah. um, she realized that she has a dream, and and Rafe is like, "Oh, that's weird." Okay. <laughs> and then after that, we saw Finn waiting for Josh in the dark pantry. He's like, how long have you been there? And I want to know how long was spent with the, the basket in the pantry waiting for Josh. A couple hours. Oh, I know. Yeah. Like, and she's she, like, it's going to be so good. This is going to be perfect. It's going to be just like in every movie I've watched, which is three movies and they're all the Godfather. <laughs> But Fen is so happy that she has magic. Like, she's excited to tell Josh. And, and I re- I'm so mad that Josh really... He kind of undermined her prophetic dreams. Where he's like, oh, that could be caused by this or that or whatever. Uh, see, I, I, I didn't see that as him undermining. Basically, I, I was like, why did you tell Margot? Margot would have like, whatever, girl, you're, it's in your head. Josh said, okay. Like, a prophetic dream can be a lot of things. Here, how I'm going to give you the tools to see what it is. It doesn't say, like, oh, your dream are not valid. It's like, they're meant to be something. Because something's happening. You're not magic, girl. There was just something that felt like he didn't want her to be as excited as she was. Because she yeah. was very excited. He's like, okay, let's chill out. It's It's not... I think she looked like him when... He saw Julia having magic and he hadn't. Oh. And that could have scared him. Because Finn with magic, I'm sorry, but that will be scary. You know, that's the kind of scary that I'm horny for. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm, um, I want that yeah. to kill me. Yeah. Um. Then we go back to uh, Margot and, and uh, Josh fighting over the lizard and the beet juice. But then there's a stop and Penny say, don't focus on Josh and Margot, focus on Fen. And then we go back to this. And I love that. I love that. that. Because, <laughs> and that's, that's something that's going to happen more and more in season five of fencing. I'm not just a bad character. Stop treating me like this. Fen has always focused on everything that's not Fen. Yes. And the next episode, there's a line that um, I want to have on my body because it changed a lot of how I feel. Um, and I'm going to talk about it later. But um, Which line is that? Uh, do you value yourself? Oh. Yeah. I'll explain it next episode. Um, 
but then we um, Fenn managed to stop the the dream with the, the tools Josh gave her, which you go Fenn. Uh, but why did the Napster made herself seen? Because the How Napster you... could have, well, then uh, like she see the Napster, but the Napster was like leaning forward for Fenn to see her. Why did she want a Fenn to see her? I'm not entirely sure she expected Fit to see her. Oh, she this was looking Finn. like, what's happening? Yeah, kind of like watching. But Finn is not just dreaming now, she's lucid dreaming. Yeah. She didn't expect her to have magical tools. Yes, or to be able to get a solution. Mm-hmm. And when she wakes up of that, uh, I love that we we see Fen uh, swear two times in like 30 seconds. I love it. Uh, when she wake up of that dreams, she's going to uh, to stop Margot to um, to put the juice on the the scale lizard, and she like as she was super open to tell Josh, she's kind of like a bit hesitant to tell Margot. I don't know if you notice, but I also noticed that Margot doesn't know what Finn's talking about, but she still stops, and she still That's gives true. Finn the floor. She's still like okay. I know it's Finn. big for Margot. I know Finn. Finn doesn't react like this to nothing, yeah. usually, except that one time she saw a bug. But I think it's uh, it's for her. It's a it's showing that Margot trusted her. Um, oh yeah. But also, like uh, basically, Josh explained a bit better what's happening to Finn. Um, and he say like, oh, you managed to do something. Good job. A plus. And Margot, super jealous, a B minus. And I'm like, fuck you, Margot. Margot, you don't even know what's going on. Like, this is pure jealousy of oh, yeah. Fenn and Josh bonding. And I'm like, I'm sorry, girl, but he's allowed to have a friend. Uh, no, he can only be friends with Margot. Okay, Margot is used to Elliot. And Elliot had one friend for a long time, and that one friend was Margot. And when Elliot yeah. got a new friend, Elliot went away mm. to go fuck his new friend. But that's the thing. I think that um, she knows that, Fen knows that going to Josh will empower her, and Margot knows that Josh will empower Fen. And that's why Margot is kind of scared too, because we were talking uh, last episode, our Margot might be a bit jealous of Fen, of her capacity of doing stuff without her, uh, which nobody believed that she was able to in season two. I mean, um, it is pure jealousy, like her seeing that Josh is helping Finn when Josh is supposed to be helping her with her birthright lizard thing. Mm -hmm. Josh and can I, help multiple people. I also love that like Fenn is trying to empower herself and say, like, okay, I'm going to chase the Napster, but she's unable to do a speech. She's doing a stuttering speech, and she's been high-key. Like, she's given speeches before, but it's in front of Margot. Yes, yeah, that's what... She's the big hero. She's got a story. But even uh, when we saw her as Eye King, when it was um, the begin at the end of season three, like you saw the council saying like, you can do it. Like, yes, we're going to be there, my High King. And like, no problem. Like, you could then cheer, cheer her up. I think Finn still needs this. Uh, this. Oh, yeah. She's still. 
she's not all there yet. No, exactly. And um, that's going to be the clue that's going to make her all there. Um, and yeah, so that's what we have. We have um, Fen going for a quest, which uh, when I saw the first time, I might have yelled the whole episode because, yay, Fen! Finally, people. The questing outfits. <laughs> Me too. But I also love that Fen's start to see herself work because uh, she has a lot and people are dismissing her for just pure jealousy like uh, like Margot. Well, because when we met Fen, she was essentially a child. Yeah. Like, she really didn't know a lot. Well, she she was doing what she was told and then yeah. Olaf said, like, empowered her to think for herself and now that she thinks for herself... Margot likes it and tried to encourage that, but also I think it scares her because she's fucking smart. Yeah, now that Finn's actually empowered, we're learning that Finn actually has a lot more going for her than anyone ever suspected. Even herself. Yes. <laughs> and finally, let's go to uh, Katie. Oh, uh, the episode start with, uh, well, for Katie, start with Katie saying, oh, don't mind me, and Quentin saying, oh, oh I'm, I'm going to go, okay, bye. And he's leaving. <laughs> like, okay. Quentin's uh, like, oh no, the girlfriends are fighting. Exactly. I don't want to see my mom's fight, so he's leaving. And I love that Julia is checking on Katie without, like without saying, like, do you do drugs? He's like, is is it anything I should stuff be worried? I should be worried about. It's not like I take you as you're an addict, it's just, should I be worried? No? Okay, fine. And she, tr- she believes her. And. Katie's got this sort of aggression about it, like, that I I really understand, like, no, I'm fucking clean. Like, you don't, because I think she, Katie wants to be empowered. She wants to be her own person, and she kind of feels like Julia's, in a way, kind of babying her. Well, Anderson also doing doing that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But that's not how addicts think. No, but I think Julia see her see herself looking at after Katie and just asking, should I be worried? No, okay, I trust you. I feel Julia see that as a me trusting her is something that's gonna empower Katie. Meanwhile, Katie sees that as don't diminish me, bitch. Yeah, Katie sees it as I don't need to be babysat. I can. I've done this before. Yeah, and I think. I think in a way Julia almost sees it in the same way she sees Quentin. Mm. Where it's like, is this something I should be worried about? Like what's Probably something that she said she said to Quentin, yeah. Also, Katie has not been okay in the time that Julia has known her, so it's a fair question. Yeah, I think I agree that like it's like uh, you about to do the dishes, but then your mom asks you to do the dishes and you're like, I was about to do it, but now fuck you. I was going to do it until you asked. Exactly, and I think that's what happened with Katie. She's like, I'm clean, like, fuck you, but at the same time, it's the sweetest thing that you could ask, you know? Well, no one's ever looked after Katie before, so I guess she it, she also doesn't know how to react to it, because... She's used to what her mom and her mom, she was doing, was pushing her away, which is what she's doing with Julia. She's acting like she was acting with her mom, basically. Yeah, she's... I'm wondering if Katie is worried at this point when, when Julia is especially asking, like, is this something I should be worried about? Katie's like, she just sees me as an addict. 
I think that, um, like, I'm not saying Julia sees her as that. I'm saying that's the mindset, like, thinking about how no, because her mother said, I'm, was. I'm clean, and then they move on. I think that um, Katie knows Julia enough. But when that's someone's first question, that's one of the things you think about is, that's how you see me. You see me but as... she's an addict. Yes. A but recovering we, addict. We don't like addict. to be seen that way. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes, uh, like, saying it, like, we're going to see that in season five, how she said, like, I needed that drug. I need a, a shot and I can't and it's hard. Her saying that is empowering, and I think she's trying to push it away right now by saying, like, oh. I'm clean. Like, it's hard for her to be clean right now. It is. And one of the most empowering things you could do as a as a former addict is say, I want this. I want this really bad. This would make me feel a lot better right now, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And I think that's why um, she put herself into Sam's case because she needs something to get her mind out of the 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 hurt and yet feel empowered and she drug cannot empower she goes into the other drug which is uh like this adrenaline kick well like we were talking about in the first episode of season four uh being sam that was the first time katie got to be the hero she was the one who brought them all together and that's why I said in my recap, like, she's Detective Katie. She's not Sam. She's mm-hmm. trying to be Sam, and she wants to be. But what she's really doing is establishing herself, and Sam's empowering her. Yeah. And I love that Um, there's going to be a, have a bit of that, but there's a bit of, like, kind of video, video game trope with Katie of her wanting to be a hero on a quest, and there, there's a side quest, and the side quest leads you to something else. Because, like, it's like, okay, I gotta fix those cases and blah, blah, blah. And then Baba Yaga, right? Real quick, because I just realized this. You know how I said, like, Julia saying stuff I should be worried about was reminiscent of Quinted? So is Katie wanting to be the hero. And wanting to... It's worrisome. Have this story. It's very similar to Quinted, but they want it for very different reasons. Yeah. Quentin has a serious case of white male protagonism. Yeah, Quentin wants to be the hero because that's what the books say. Yeah. Katie wants to be the hero because she fucking needs to be. Because, yeah. Because the other time that she was supposed to be the hero, she screwed it up. Yeah, and... And that's why Baba Yaga showing up is just, like, is what Katie needed, I think. Because Katie made a move to get the penthouse and that was our first power move in season four was like i took care of it i have a puppy now that we're never gonna see again and um i have the penthouse it's under my name and i think baba yaga is showing you want to be empowered no problem but there will be consequences this consequence is minor it's going to 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 get weird shit but i think that's the first step of creating this character of bad bitch quite uh, like a bad bitch Katie of like the Hedgewitch Katie oh yeah that's the first step of you want to be empowered fine no there's gonna be repercussions oh yeah I love how, how Katie's like this is my pit house I got it then the Bobby Yaga shows up and she's like it's not actually mine <laughs> yeah that's the totally I'm watching it for line. a friend well not a um, friend more like a person I hate <laughs> 
and that's the thing like then then she go to love lady because she hears love lady can help you um i died because love lady is in the book and it's not pete and i died when they use pete like it's so perfect you know it's the so reason perfect. i died when it was pete because you wrote that in a dd campaign i know like right before the episode aired i'm like are you fucking kidding me yeah i was kind of mad did that you could... <laughs> did you do that how no i didn't um uh but basically uh love ladies in a bar and katie need to prove that she's a hedge by doing a first the first slash um but she's like overdo it and i want i was wondering is it an empowerment thing or that's because she needs to feel bigger than she feels i feel like it's saying i'm not just a hedge witch i'm the hedge witch mm. It's again like putting her mark as bad, like the the main. Stop edge. asking me all these questions. I don't have time. I'm Katie. Yeah. Fuck you. Oh God, that's Pete. <laughs> also, and I like. I like I was, that Pete. Will... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say Pete becoming Love Lady is him really reestablishing himself post Marina. I like that. What happened between them? Well, I think that he saw back. Uh, he knew that Marina died. Saw Marina for uh, twenty three and was like, "Do you want me?" And she's like, "Fuck you!" And he was like, "Okay, bye." <laughs> I think that's what happened. You muted. You're muted. You're muted. My bad. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um. Pete recognized that wasn't his Marina. And Marina's mm. like, that's not my Pete. And also, I saw you die pretty fucking violently and don't like to look at you. Yeah. and uh, But I, I liked I like Pete was acting all cool. It's like a title. Don't worry. I'm, I'm in power. I know people. But the moment he learned about Baba Yaga, he lose all his oh, shit. God, and I like that because it, sh it shows like he's trying hard to be someone else and be in power. But, but he's so um, creepy. Yeah. Also, so do you still talk to Julia? Don't be a creep. Stop. Also, yeah. there was like, it didn't seem like there was a lot of bad blood between Katie and Pete. No, I think that she knew he was there. I, I think she knew he was a pawn for Marina. I always saw them as like, Almost Margot and Elliot style. Mm. I, which is why it would be so hard for them to be friends again. When it's like, you're not my Marina and you're not my yeah. Pete, and we yeah. have completely different inside jokes. Exactly. And you fuck Julia. Um, I like that. Um, then Pete bring her to the black market. But I, I like that at first Katie doesn't know how to deal with hedges, and it's with the black market yeah, that she. She's taught how to handle hedge, which is like the barter system and how like, okay, you want that, but you want that, but you want that. And our services work. And that's another way of her building herself as this top hedge um, I, person. I wrote down, Katie spent her whole life begging, borrowing, stealing. So this whole scene of the black market is like, that she knows this. She knows how to get what she wants through like going through different channels. Yeah, but she she was back like then she got the classical um way of thinking of break deals and this brought her back to okay if I want to talk to hedges gotta talk, think like hedges oh yeah and she has to kind of go 
she's moving forward, but she has to go back in her mind to who she used to be. Yeah. And then uh, uh, we we learn via Gordy that Pete is drunk with Gordy. Uh, I love that Gordy's a recurring character, by the way. I love him. I love that, that, that Pete introduced him as Gordy's a doctor for um, animals. This is important. You're still important. Uh, but th- uh, we learned via Gordy that connections are important. That's something that Katie had to learn. And learning it via Gordy was the perfect way. I think Pete is teaching Katie in this episode how to be Marina. I think he's definitely trying. Because he's showing her the ropes. He's, she's which, doing the bad things. Tr- Makes me wonder, like, he definitely misses it. He definitely, he misses his friend. Yeah. But that's the thing, the difference between Pete and Katie is that Katie can see the big picture. Like, when the guy is dead on the floor, she's going to go see why and what happened. Meanwhile, Pete is like, I'm here for the doll, let's go to the doll. Oh, here's a Dewey. Like, Katie see the big pictures. Katie goes into Sam Cunningham mode. Yes, and, and, and I, I think that's that like her idea with Sam. You're right; it's it's her Sam coming back there. Do you think that season three, Katie would have done that? Oh hell no! I think she would have grabbed the doll and ran and tried to find Penny. I I really really like that. Also, uh, do you think any of my haunted dolls are magically useful? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, not allowed to bring haunted dolls to the podcast anymore. No, I'm scared of them. Um, Pete is super nervous to meet Baba Yaga, which is cute. But at first I was like, okay, he's sweating and everything. But then you realize, oh, okay, it's because the counter spell is like acting up. And I love that despite like um, Kitty having to use violence for Guardian, like, eh, don't break my jaw and him being a comic relief. It's not as stupid as you say, because he licked the coin, you know, oh, that's, there's a tracker on this. Yeah. This guy is brilliant. I Stupidly brilliant. Also, does Pete carry a riding crop? We never learned. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm, I'm intrigued by Gory, because he's a comic relief, and yet managed to find that there was a tracker in licking it. And usually licking things like something that Do- Doctor Who does. Wait, I wrote down, tasting things is more accurate. I work at antiques, and I can't tell you the number of times I've been like, what material is this? And licked it hmm. to figure out if it was big light or like a regular plastic or uh, well, I know our archaeologist does that too with um, rocks and uh, bones. You will swallow bones that way. If you've never swallowed a fossil, you need to lick more rocks. Okay. That's going to be your wisdom of the day. I feel like that is the uh, sound bite. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, uh, then uh, Katie will use all of Pete, uh, Pete's knowledge and connection and all the dealing he has done. And the, everything that she's done was kind of like a small quest for her to go into the final, which was her gathering all the hedges at the black market and and using her classical knowledge to show, like, I'm going to show you the tracker. That's something that only a classically trained could reveal. 
So she used it, but then say, fuck this, we, we want to have a revolution and like, um, and made them realize that if we focus on war between each other, we don't focus on the library, which is a classical tactic in politics. And I yeah. like that. Sorry, there was just a point there at the beginning that I wanted to bring up. And I know Go I've ahead. brought up Marina like 20 times in this episode, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, Pete says he trusts Katie she, because she saved his life. I need the backstory of Pete and Marita. Hmm. Do you think he, it's the same thing? I mean, he trusts her indefinitely, and she trusts him. Mm-hmm. So I need to know... I feel like they had to save each other at some point. Mm-hmm. No, I, I really, really like that. I also like... um. When Katie talked about them being collateral damage, uh, because that's something that we see in a lot of wars, in a lot of uh, tactics, in a lot of things, how marginalized people are never counted up, accounted for. And I mean, the coronavirus showed us. Oh, do you want to know like how much of my my people are like left? Exactly. Like the coronavirus, um, straight up demolished Zuni and Navajo tribes. Yeah, it, it demolished a lot of uh, tribes in Canada, too. It's, uh, it's kind of sad. Uh, I I just... The, the, the idea that, like, okay, um, doing or not doing an action will have consequences, and we see that, like, oh, Zelda's action have consequences on Katie's, and Katie's action will have consequences on Fen later on. Which is really interesting how, like, everything's linked. Everything's full circle. Exactly. And when we... Uh, I forgot her name, the blonde girl. I don't remember her name. The blonde girl that blew up Modest- Modesto. Yeah. She's like, oh, you you, uh, they, uh, oh, you, you, don't want revenge like I do. Uh, they kill my boyfriend and Kitty was like, me too, bitch. You, <laughs> you have no idea what I've been through. I, I do love this scene, though, because Katie reassures her and is like, Talking to her about, you know, don't do anything stupid, we'll do something. Which is something someone... Yeah, which is something someone would have had to tell Katie last season. That's what I saw. That's what I wrote, Blondie's Katie season one and two. Yes. So Katie (laughs) knows what to say, sort of. Yeah. Katie... She see herself in her. Katie in this moment... I feel like Katie channels a lot of different people in finding herself. Like, mm-hmm. we've seen her channel Sam. We've seen her mm-hmm. do that. And I feel like at this moment, she's Julia. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I just... I, I This this episode... I feel I say that like, oh, I really like this episode. Uh, there are bites that I adore in this episode. Like, the, the speech of Katie, uh, Fen being proud of doing magic in front of Josh. Um... Katie's Zelda asking is... Alice for help. <laughs> Katie's speech is one of my favorite parts of the whole season. Yep. Uh, because... Of the whole show, if you want my opinion. I mean, yeah, really. Because Katie's... Katie's like, they don't see us as a threat. So, let's make them. Yeah, like... But the thing is, let's and... make them without without being collateral damage. And what if Blondie we... does. Yeah. 
is yeah and talk about how they have to work together and we've talked about katie you know kind of taking over marina's place marina would have been too afraid to work with outside safe houses and to bring in outside yeah. hedge witches this is not a marina move this is all katie and yeah i think that has to go back to what pete says when he trusts her he doesn't why, like, people, try to change her mind like people oh hold on i okay people like nodding and listening to her and being like yeah i think that's because it's so different in marina oh yeah it's completely different and again i feel like this is something pete would have previously been like we don't work with outside safe houses it's a bad idea hedge witches kill hedge witches but yeah he trusts katie now so mm-hmm. um that's what i had on this episode i think this that's... episode is uh is empowering on a many different Hold reasons on one second no problem oh you're fine okay there i got it uh over um Penny, I'm getting empowered in the library, but also like what happened in Fillory and on Earth. Like it's all em- things that will build for honestly to, to season five, to the ending of season five. I picture. I, I just, I just love Penny as the narrator for this episode. But he's the he's not the narrator. Technically, it's Cassandra because they're reading Cassandra's. Hey, what happened to Cassandra? <laughs> Why does she look like Alice? Can we get some more information on Cassandra, please? I feel like we just kind of forgot about her and her no, little uh, room. No, Sarah said, Sarah said that it's meant not to be answered. Uh, Sarah, I don't accept that as an answer. Um, <laughs> I feel like you just didn't get to make season six. And if you want to come <laughs> to my house, you can come make season six. It won't, it won't be great. But, you know, I've got a, I've got a camera and, like... Uh, Puppets. Puppets. And haunted dolls. Haunted dolls. We can figure it out. It'll be great. So um, let's go to Lectio Divina if you're ready. I Literally, I always forget about this part when we're doing the podcast. <laughs> I get so wrapped up in what we're talking about. I'm like, oh, right. There's, there's a part two to this. So uh, in the part two, we're going to do a monastic way of reading the text, which is uh, how to read the text, find something beyond it, and then what we can improve in our life. So I'm going to scroll at random on the script that I have, and uh, Jasper will tell me when to stop, and then we're going to talk about this line. Tell me when to stop. Oh, I know. I just want to see how long she'll keep going. Oh, I'll do it all the time. I just realized she will. Okay, stop. Huh. Okay. Okay. Stop talking to yourself and um, look around. Stop talking to yourself and um, look around. So step one, what is literally happening? I don't know. Uh, Fen is realizing that she's in a dream. Oh, okay. And she's like, stop talking to yourself and look around. And then she sees the Napster that we don't know yet, but it's the Napster. Okay. Um, I don't know why I'm looking at my notes. Like, there'll be any help. (laughs) Uh, Second step is an allegory. What does it remind you? A story or something? I'm going to repeat the sentence. 
stop talking to yourself and uh, look around. Okay, I feel like we bring up Harry Potter a lot. I don't care. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> From J.K. Rowling, but I love Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling is the worst, but uh, Harry Potter would kick her ass. Yes. Probably. Um, I, I, it, the first thing that pops in my head is Harry in the train, not the train station, but when he dies in the seventh book and he goes uh, to like the King's Cross sort of yeah. station and Dumbledore's like, well, where are you? Look around. Like, what do you see? Uh, yeah. And Harry's like, it's like a train station without the trains. And Dumbledore's like, okay! Harry, what? Dumbledore's like, oh god, I picked the wrong fucking kid. And then Harry's <laughs> like, Harry's like, isn't it weird that Snape's Patronus is a doe like my mother's? And Dumbledore's like, isn't it weird how you're a dumb little shit? But, um, yeah. Sorry, that's my rant. Um, for me, it reminds me, uh, maybe it's because I just rewatched it, but um, Hamilton, when um, uh, it's Eliza that says... Uh, Look around how lucky we are to be alive right now. Um, yeah, it reminds me of this. Of acknowledge, like yeah. her acknowledging the importance of the moment they live in. Which we don't often do. We, uh, which uh, leads us to the third step. What does it remind <laughs> me? <laughs> I told you it was annoying. Uh, what does it remind you in your life? Hmm. So I'm going to reread the sentence. Stop talking to yourself and uh, look around. The first thing that comes to mind is like when I'm doing anything and there's like that internal voice. It's like, this isn't good or perfect. Mm-hmm. This is I bad. It's like, why don't I look at what I'm doing and you shut the fuck up? Yeah. Why don't yep. you be useful? Yeah, I call it venom because my depression is venom. It's an entity outside of me that is taking it, parasiting and taking slowly over me. I call mine Dylan. He's 13. He wears a monster energy cap. (laughs) And he carries a skateboard, but he doesn't know how to skateboard. And he's like, you should kill yourself. I'm like, that's real edgy, Dylan. Um, For me, it reminds me just to... um, I... I have this problem uh, that I know a lot of people our age have where if I, I'm not productive, I am not worth anything. And I am learning that productivity doesn't equal your worth. And like I had this moment of like, I'm nothing and nobody loves me and who the care will I? And said as to remind me that I'm doing a fucking her- the magician D&D book and people are actually giving me money because my project is awesome. You're doing like 20 different things and yeah. they're all great. And like the thing is I, I when I need money I, I ask for it and people will give it to me. I need money. <laughs> well to be honest I don't keep it the money that is to pay like for publishing and for the artist, like I, I make zero money out of, of the book, but the idea that Mine's people... because my meds are over two hundred dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that. America. But um yeah, it's just to to like sometimes stop and realize like look around and look at what you've done. It's fucking awesome. You've accomplished a lot. But the thing is I have like and I know that I'm not the only one with this problem of if I'm not doing anything. I'm not productive, which means I'm not worth anything. Yes, I I get that. 
But so then I, gonna... my, I have a way that I have learned to deal with that and like talk to myself. I think I've told you this before where I'm like, well, would you say that to Kat? If Kat's <laughs> like, I'm a bad person because I didn't do anything today, would you be like, yes, you are a bad person? No, because that's mean and well, untrue. That goes to our fourth step. What do you feel called for is... Uh... Yeah, I like that too. Well, for for me, when I say that aloud, sometimes step, uh, set my husband look at me and say, "Stop being mean to my wife," and it makes me laugh. No one talks to my wife that way. Exactly, but I think sometimes I, I I need to hear that. But I, I I feel called to try to do it without having to be told that. Like it's something I have to work on myself. And yeah, now it's now for the vase and the flower, which is the last uh, leg of the. The, the show which is basically an expression my grandma used to say saying don't give a back-ended compliment like you're smart for not a wild male, male protagonist you're a sidekick penny <laughs> but a good I, sidekick every time you say this by the way i just imagine this like old french woman coming backstage and handing me a single rose and then like <laughs> later coming back and handing me a vase and like Thank okay, you. I guess these go together. <laughs> Thanks for giving them to me two weeks apart. Um, so let's do the vase first so we end up on a good note. Who do you want to give your vase to? Everett. Oh, he did okay. He didn't do anything, but I hate him. Well, he did well, do a lot. A lot of- <laughs> he's setting up. He's setting yeah. everybody up. He's finding these little loopholes to like weasel his little plots and plants in yeah i'm gonna give mine to a blondie girl because it's because of her action her radicalist action that uh the war on the hedges started and if she would have listened to katie i don't think it would have happened we all sometimes start a war i mean yeah uh, I mean, that's it's like uh, trying to explain why uh, killing Ferdinand the first started World War One. Like it's more complicated than. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Um, and uh, what is your flower? Oh, Penny. <laughs> I mean, there was no question that I was going to give it to Penny. <laughs> we know me, but also he's he's really seeing people for who they are and not just not just this one trait or this one thing he's seeing i thought i was gonna seize he's seeing that everyone's important it goes back a bit to the book that we were talking and that alice was supposed to read about people being multi-dimensional um for me, I will go. I wanted to go with Fan because I love Fan, but I think I will go with uh, Josh uh, for okay. empowering Fan. For empowering Fan to to give her the tool, not saying like, "Oh, you're crazy, you have magic," but not also say like encouraging her into something that she's not. Saying like, "Look, if you want to make sure that it's not something weird, poke around. Here is how." And then when she does it, is proud of her. And I, th- this moment of him being proud and her being like, no, thank you. Aww. I like it. Like this is, uh, this was one of my favorite moments between them. I always saw them as like a, a brother and sister mm-hmm. kind of thing, which is why season five fucked me up. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not okay with that. We're going to talk about it in season five. Uh, Can't we skip it? <laughs> nope. It Sadly. grosses me out. Um, but yeah, thank you, Jasper, for being in this episode again. It was nice. It was nice to be here. I'm glad that people are forced to listen to my opinions. And I also hope that by the time we publish this episode, uh, the world's not dead. Me too. That would be nice. Just a break <laughs> from all of that. Well, um, we need to find something funny to end the podcast. So say something funny. Uh, let's see. Something but I can't be funny on the spot. You put me on the yeah. spot. It's okay. Well, we're going to see each other uh, in the fake world of podcasts in two weeks. For us, maybe in a couple of days or a couple of months. Who knows? <laughs> you know, we don't have to end on anything funny. We're doing The Magician. It's, it's um, a very serious show about serious things where Santa Claus gets locked up. Don't ask why. Yep. Just leave.